Welcome, everybody, to Sippin' and Shippin'. I'm your host, Brian Weinstein. We'll be kicking it here every other Thursday, quenching your thirst for an insider's take to enhance your customer's experience. Grab your drink of choice, kick back, it's Sippin' and Shippin' time. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Sippin' and Shippin'. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. I've got with me, as always, Caitlin Postal, my co-host. Hey, Brian, how are you? I'm doing well. And we have David Sobey, uh, co-founder of Happy Returns. How are you today, David? I am well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. No, appreciate you joining us today. We're going to start it out. This happens to be a, we're just here having a little breakfast coffee, maybe midday coffee. Um, and so what are you drinking today, David? Well, I'm in one of our uh, processing hubs on the East Coast, so I don't have my normal coffee, but uh, I am drinking coffee uh, from the Keurig. Uh, it's a Pike Place dark roast, uh, and I'm probably on my third cup because uh, I'm a little, little jet lagged right now. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. I was in California last week, and I, and, and I hear you. Are you Starbucks loyal? No, you know, the coffee I'm really into right now is called Verve. I don't know if you've okay. had Verve yet, but um, it's, uh, I think they're uh, uh, maybe San San Francisco. Okay. Um, really excellent. And what is that like? Is, is it just a slow roast, grind up? Yeah, yeah. I just, okay. yeah, I buy the beans and, and grind them and... Um, you know, in my, my quest for the perfect cup, I found uh, the French press to be, you know, what, what I like the most. So kind of a rough grind, you know, boiling water in the French press. And then uh, and it's that, that that's mine. That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. How about you, Caitlin? Uh, I have my tried and true pomegranate green tea here. OK, now, so I everybody know I am the boring one. So you're going to have to change for the for the next time we do this. But I am, as everybody knows. Uh, I am I am Dunkin' Donuts as often as I possibly can. So we've got the Dunkin' Donuts rolling this morning. Uh, David, in case you catch one of the uh, the episodes, we 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 I tend to lean towards tequila for the cocktails. I, I will change brands, but I, I'm I'm mostly tequila on that. Um, I'll have to come back at happy hour sometime. Yes, yes. exactly. You're welcome <laughs> back anytime. All right. So we wanted to kick into returns and talk a little bit. Uh, you know, build a little bit of a history. And, you know, David, I've been in the, in the 3PL industry my, my entire career, grew up before there was even e-commerce, um, and then saw the, saw the start of the e-commerce revolution, uh, sales going online. And, and, you know, my recollection was that it was really the brands tried to create as much friction around returns as they possibly could. Didn't necessarily include a return label, didn't necessarily make it easy. You had to call in. They didn't even really have the chat box. Email wasn't all that sophisticated. I'm assuming maybe not directly in returns, but in some way you were you were experiencing that as well. Yeah, I, I remember that part of the of the story. I mean, and I and I think it, in the early days of e-commerce. So you know, my, my background is almost 20 years now uh, doing you know e-commerce, everything from kind of eBay to Hotlook to Revolve, and yeah. You know, returns was one of those areas where I think the logic was if I make it challenging, I'll get fewer of them. Right. And 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 in defense of the merchants, you know, returns are are a pain, right? They're they're right. hard to deal with, they're expensive. Um, but I think that was, you know, probably until the era of Zappos, really, you know, I think that was kind of the the idea was you get the convenience of online, but you have this additional tax associated with doing something like a return. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. So to, you, I, I'm, I'm just curious if you had that same moment. I remember reading, I guess it was like 2010 and, 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 and Tony Shea's book came out, uh, Delivering Happiness. And I literally remember thinking to myself, he did not just fucking say that, right? When, when, when he said, I'm, he said, doesn't matter. We'll take returns back at any time. It doesn't matter if it's 12 months later. And I was like, at now, and it sounds like your background is very similar, right? Fashion. For those that don't know, for those that might be from a different vertical, right? If you're in fashion, you can expect anywhere from, let's say, 16 to 35% return rate. So or higher or, or higher. higher. Right. And then, yeah. so he makes that comment and you're like, Oh my God, you know, we could have 30% of everything that goes out the door is going to come back. Right. I mean, did you have that same sort of moment? Yeah. It's, it's staggering. Um, and, and I'll tell you where it came into, into real focus for me was, um, I worked at a flash sale retailer called Hot Look yep. and we ended up getting bought by Nordstrom. And you start to look at return rates, uh, for a company like Nordstrom who, you know, for a long time, part of their identity has been the customer experience and, and doing everything to create loyalty and, you know, sort of lifetime value through things like a, a very uh, permissive return policy. Um, you know, man, Nordstrom has a, Nordstrom.com has a, a very healthy return rate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, then I, I ended up leaving Hotlook and, and going on to be the CMO at Revolve Clothing, uh, which is, you know, now, uh, at the time, it was a private company. It's now a public company, um, very well documented uh, in in its public filings. You know the return challenge for some something like Revolve, um, similar, very healthy. You know, well north of kind of the range you provided. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what Revolve and Nordstrom uh, and and certainly Zappos kind of have in common is this idea of removing the friction. Right. And I would say that's probably the most counterintuitive part of of you know e-commerce and, and maybe counterintuitive in terms of, of happy returns is this idea that it's actually in your interest as a merchant long-term to make this as easy as possible. Um, and, and, you know, don't believe me, there's plenty of evidence on this. There's plenty of studies that show, you know, if people end up having a bad, you know, if they, they buy from you and they have a bad return experience, they're never going to come back and shop again. Right. 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 Well, yeah. I mean, you're really trying to create that experience because you, it's easy. You could sell, you could sell something online one time. If you don't create that experience around it, you're never going to get another sale from that person. Really what you want is somebody that just continues to come back. Right. One return is worth a customer for life, yes. I guess is kind of the thought yeah. process there. That's right. And, and that's another one of these kind of counterintuitive points, but you know, we've, we've learned in the, in the course of happier turns is that, you know, if you ask, if you ask a merchant about, um, that are the lifetime value or you ask them to segment their customers, what you'd find is that the best customers are the ones that actually have gone through the return process and had a positive experience and come back again, right? Because they've sort of like, they're over the hump of, um, if this doesn't work out, it's not going to be horrible, yeah. right? And, and, and if, you, if you do like a decile analysis, you know, so your top 10%, your next 10%, your third 10%, what you find is that your best customers buy the most but they also return the most. Um, and, and it's kind of like shots on goal in a hockey game, you know, like you gotta have a lot of them to have some go in. Well, you gotta buy a lot to keep a lot. Right. Um, yeah. Because, you know, as, as you described, you know, when, when we were getting started, um, sizing is hard. And, and especially in a world where, you know, people are manufacturing or sourcing, you know, products from all over the world. Um, you know, like, like I always, always talk about myself, I'm a, I'm a men's 10 in my shoes. 
I've been a 10 for 30 plus years, right? right. <laughs> but if you went in my closet, you'd find nine and a halfs, you'd find tens, you'd find 10 and a halfs, you'd even find some 11s, right? It's not because my foot has changed. Right. It's because, you know, these shoes were made in Italy. These shoes were made in Mexico. These were made in Vietnam, right? And, and, and it's just hard to have consistency in sizing. And so, you know, we all know that as shoppers, um, you know, and, and, and we all have become accustomed to uh, return policies like, like Zappos or Nordstrom or, you know, Amazon that, that, that allow returns to be free. And so we shop differently. Right. And, and so we say, I'm going to buy three sizes because I've never tried this brand before, or, you know, or maybe I'm, you know, maybe I have an event. Uh, and so I'll buy three or four dresses and keep the one that fits best and makes me, make me look best because, you know, it's really hard when you're buying off of a Photoshopped model online mm-hmm. <laughs> that's been styled professionally. And, you know, it may not look the same way on you at home because maybe you're not 5'10 and thin and, you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. so, so it's, you know, we're real people that are, that are shopping and have real bodies and, and things fit us differently than they might when it's, when it's perfectly merchandised. Right. And, 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 you know, as, as, as painful as it was when, when I first heard or first read what, what Tony wrote, uh, I think ultimately fashion stands the most to gain or stood the most to gain, right? By making it frictionless because to your point, you know, when you take away the ability to just walk into a store and see it, right? And instead you're trying to sell it to people online. If you make it easy, like I, I, just, uh, I, I just told you a story that I, I bought a couple of pairs of pants because I would never bought from this brand before, I was able to buy the two sizes and return one, which I, every, we're 3PL, we know when we get an order for the same item in two different sizes, we know one of them's coming back, right? And, you know, I was fortunate enough, I, I, I just shared that I was able to return the larger pair, so I was very proud of that. So I've, I've done okay during COVID, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you, you have to have that or you're not gonna buy unless you can go to a store and try it on. That's right. That's right. And I think you're right. It's not, you know, that the 30 to 40% return rate is not, I think that's very unique to certain categories and, and you know, so apparel footwear, um, anything where there's, where sizing is important. Um, you know, and there are some, even within apparel, there are certain categories where sizing is more important than others. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay if my sweatpants or my athleisure stuff is maybe a little tight or a little loose. Right. But I'm never going to, keep shoes that are too tight, right? I'm not going to walk around in a pair of shoes that hurt my feet. Um, so certain certain categories have higher return rates. Dresses, as an example, tend to have really high return rates. Yep. Shoes have high return rates. Um, accessories, you know, handbags, uh, less so because there isn't a sizing challenge. Uh, watches, less so, you know, just as, as some examples. Um, and then you've got certain categories that, that don't allow returns, which, you know, makes sense. You know, undergarments, for example, oftentimes you, know, you can buy the first pair and return them, you know, for sizing. But after that, you know, you're, you're unable to get your money back. Um, swim sometimes has that, you know, that, that category, you know, those uh, characteristics as well. Um, when you get outside of those categories, you start to get into, you know, things like, say, toys or, um, you know, or, or like, like I've got a couple kids. Right. And mm-hmm. sometimes you're like, well, these are a little big today on you, you know, but you're going to grow into them. So I'm OK with that. Right. right. Like, right. There, there are certain categories or people in your, you know, that, that, that have, don't have the same return challenge. Certainly, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, you've got things like grocery or consumables where, 
you know, it may just not be worth the hassle you know, to return this thing that I paid a couple bucks for. Right. Um, you know, you're not going to return diapers, right? Mm-hmm. You're just going to make it make it work. <laughs> um, and then and then you got to have everything in between, right? Yep. Is there a particular category? You know, so there was the scramble, obviously, to 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 go frictionless, or at least at least appear to be going frictionless. Um, are there any verticals in particular that maybe have not embraced that as much? Um, where they try to still keep a little piece of friction or are there, are there things that you're finding that some brands do that still add, uh, you know, maybe, maybe even if it's a small degree of friction, but just enough where the consumer might say, I'm just not going to bother. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, some, some places, especially that are super seasonal, they may have restocking fees or fees associated with returns to try to create that disincentive. Um, what I think has been probably the most interesting development in, in the almost six years we've been in business is uh, because return shipping has become so expensive and because there have been alternatives that are lower cost, like, you know, return to a third party network like ours, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or similar to what Amazon has done with, you know, Kohl's and Whole Foods, et cetera, is, is, is the use of fees to try to drive behavior. And so as an example, we work with a big well-known shoe brand. Uh, they have probably 70 stores. Uh, what they, you know, they, and they try to use their policy as an attempt to drive consumer behavior. So they say it's free to return to our store, right? There's a very low fee to use happy returns and there's a high fee to mail it back. Right. And, and so what they're doing is they're sort of mapping, you know, their cost structure to their return policy and saying, well, we want you to come into the store because then we can interact with you. And there's a kind of the best chance that we're going to be able to, you know, have you return something, but also walk out with something. Happy returns, that's our lowest cost, right? And so if, if you know, in a, in a world where returns have to be free or, you know, they're not free, they're subsidized. like. Right. Um, I'm going to try to drive you toward that because that's the cheapest one for me, the brand. Right. right? And so, you know, they, they, again, they're trying to, you know, still charge for, for returns, but it's a very low fee. I think it's like $2 to use happy returns. Right. Whereas if you want to mail it back, well, gosh, there's no way for me as a brand to get any economies of scale. You know, it's really inefficient to ship a single pair of shoes back. That's really expensive for me as a brand. And so I'm going to charge you for that. Yeah. 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 You're right. And and you you have to find those ways to subsidize. And 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 from that's come an entire rise of, you know, whether it's driving traffic to a store. Um, you know, you guys have that that great option in your return bar, which you know is obviously taking you to a, a store that's a non-competitive store. And, and then there's other software platforms that can tie in, and as you're making returns, offer you the day's site sales from the from the product that you're that you're returning. Right? How, how do yeah. you? Okay. If I could comment on that one. I mean, sure. exchanges. I feel like exchanges and the exchange rate is this just big opportunity for every merchant out there. Um, And, you know, we've all kind of had this experience where you buy something online. It's not what you want. You still want it. Right. I I bought the medium shirt, but it turns out I need the large. Right. Um, And and so I go to return it and I hear from the the brand. Yeah. Just, just buy the thing you want, you know, and and we're going to charge you for that immediately. And then send us this back and we're going to wait, you know, and you'll get your, your money back in say three to four weeks. Right. Right. Um, but, but trust us, this is going to work out. And you think to yourself, wait a minute, I'm already on the hook for one shirt. Now you want me to be on the hook for another. Right. Um, 
you know, our approach to that, and, and we're not the only ones doing this, is is to try to have that exchange happen in the same transaction. Yep. Right. And yeah. I think that, you know, it's like, you know, if you think about returns, everybody thinks about focuses on one metric, which is, you know, return rate. But if you can turn a return into an exchange, that means that you as the brand are, are keeping the customer, you know, retaining the revenue. Um, and so really we should be focused on is your net return rate. You know, it's like your gross return rate, mm-hmm. less the number that you can convert into exchanges, that gets you your net. And so you want your, your exchange rate to be as high as possible. Um, how do you do that? Well, you make it easy, right? right. And you make it easy through software, as you point out, right? Yeah. And software that can tell you things like, if you're returning the medium, because it's too small, make it easy for the customer, right? And so what our software does is it'll say, hey, that large is in stock. Do you want it? And, and it's just that action of putting it in front of the customer that that drives exchanges, right? The same way if you walked into a store and said, hey, I'm returning the medium, the store associate wouldn't say, okay, great, Brian, here's your money back. Right. Right? They would say, right. oh, I'm, I'm sorry, it didn't work. Yep. You know, by the way, the shirt would look great on you. Did you did you try a larger size? Like, why? You know, is it? You know, they would they would try to sell you, and and so that's kind of the the same design principle that we think about with regard to exchanges, and and you know, and, and there's a, as I said, we're not the only ones that do this, but it's sort of this recognition that it should be as easy to exchange an item as it is to buy it. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And again, that that just lends more to that experience. Exactly. Right. Optimizing the exchange, that's kind of low-hanging fruit. And now you made it seamless. It's easy for me. And now I may even go back and shop again or add another item to my cart just because it was that easy. That's yeah. my experience. I was always dreadful. I'm like a very much an in-person type of shopper. And what better time to break that habit than COVID, right? So, you know, just having that going and being kind of forced into that space, but knowing that there are options out there being in the space and knowing there are folks like yourself that make it easy it really lends you towards that path because it is easy enough, right? Oh, totally. You know, as someone who's been in, in retail for a while, um, you know, I, I, like, I used to think about the world as like physical stores and online, right? And you know, like remember Omnichannel, you mm-hmm. know, and this like, like, but as a, as a customer, like we don't think about it that way. Like we don't think about, oh, I'm buying from Nordstrom online and somehow that's different than Nordstrom in the store. We just think about, I'm buying from Nordstrom. And, and so when you kind of think about it through that lens, through like the customer lens, it's like one set of policies, one process that's as easy in person as it is online, you know, as easy online as it is in person, right? And, and you know, just think about buying from brand. There's this question of, did I do it in person or did I do it online? But, you know, from a, from a customer standpoint, you know, we, we no customer thinks about channels, right? Or <laughs> omni-channel. Right. Like that just isn't like, uh, you know, those, those are, that's not language that customers use. You know, shoppers think about, I bought from this brand or I bought from this retailer. Right, right. No, 100%. If I was the the quintessential shopper, the friction returns worked on me, by the way. I have a closet full of things with tags still on it because I never returned it. <laughs> so, so there wouldn't be a whole return to industry because of it. And I probably would buy from the same people because I, I just never remembered and my wife would yell at me uh, every year when she found the pile of clothes in the back of the closet that still had tags on it. But um, no, I, I think, you know, it's, it's this, you're right. And it's, it's really, it's really changing that it's, it's nobody thinks in terms of where you bought it. You know, you can, you're buying it from your phone, you're clicking on an ad on social somewhere, or you're walking into a store and, and as it becomes easier and easier, you know, 
we think about it in terms of those channels, right? Because we're in the industry, but I think for the consumer, they don't. And as that, that line gets completely blurred and that ease of use continues to extend, um, it just enhances that experience. Um, so, so David, where do you, where, where do you see it going from here? Like what are some of the next things that are coming into returns to just con to continue along that vein and, and, and increase that experience? Yeah. So, so maybe I'll talk about it from a, a shopper perspective and a, a merchant perspective. So, so on the shopper side, I think, um, and, and, and I'll qualify what I'm saying, um, by, you know, you know, what we do is buy online, return to store for retailers without stores to a network around the country. Um, but we're not the only ones that are approaching it this way, right? And, and I'll kind of go back to Amazon. You know, if you look at what Amazon is doing in returns, it's buy on Amazon and they will drive you toward returning in person. You know, you'll, you'll see Kohl's, you'll see Whole Foods, you'll see UPS store, you know, you'll see, I think they have like about 7,000 places where you can bring your item box free in person for an immediate, or in their case, a provisional refund or exchange, right? Um, that's what we're doing for the rest of non-Amazon is that same process. Um, I think where we're headed from a consumer standpoint is just more drop-off options. I think the future is box-free. There's no question about it. I think the future doesn't involve printing labels. I think the future is contact-free with QR codes. Um, to try to and, and and speedy refunds or exchanges, because I think people are just tired of waiting for something to get shipped back. You know, the expectation is kind of like I've done my job when I've dropped it off, and that's when I expect my refund or exchange. And so I think for for shoppers, um, you're going to see just more more in-person drop-off options that remove those friction points around waiting to get your money back and and. The, we talk about the like the arts and crafts project of like printing a label and finding a box and taping the damn thing up and right like <laughs> like that's all that's all gone right I think that's that's last decade on the on the merchant side um, and this is actually the the part of our business that I, I get most excited about is um, you know in a world where you have where where delivery and, and fast delivery and free delivery is expected you know, the only way to really do that is, is to either forward position your inventory, right? Meaning like have it in multiple places so you can, you can ship quickly um, or start to think about your returns as part of the fulfillment solution. And, and so what I mean by that is like, you know, in our case, we, you know, we have this network of, of drop-off locations for consumers. We consolidate, we ship back to regional hubs. And, and today what we're doing is we're bulk shipping, you know, we're sorting by merchant and then we're bulk shipping out using an LTL or FTL back to the merchant's warehouse or the merchant's 3PL. But we're, we're handling those goods. And, and so you start to think about, you know, could we either ourselves or in partnership start to do the inspection and the processing to get the items ready to be resold and start drop shipping to the next customer from that hub, right? So sort of let's, let's aggregate the returns in one part of the country and then if we can fill orders from there, let's do that, right? Why does it have to go all the way back to the warehouse and get unpacked and put back on the shelf so we can pick it back off the shelf, put it in a box and ship it out again, right? Why not use these kind of interim aggregation points as part of the fulfillment network? And so well, a long way of saying, I think, you know, returns is reverse logistics, but I think the future from a merchant perspective is going to be marrying that with forward um, such that you can take advantage of the, of the fact that, you know, you know, the returns is sort of a natural distribution of your inventory, right? It's like people in this part of the country are buying your stuff and now they're returning it. Well, let's keep it in that part of the country. Right, <laughs> let's yeah. find the next person for it. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, we, and, and we talk about it uh, on, on our side as a 3PL with a national presence, right? Having that, um, keep me in check, Caitlin, so this isn't a shameless plug, but, uh-huh. you know, we have, um, you, you know, we have the network and just because it ships and it originates from uh, a facility in California doesn't mean it needs to go back there. We could restock that locally. Right. If it's shipped to New Jersey, it could stay in New Jersey in one of our uh, in one of our facilities as well. And I, I think that that that's an excellent point because it does create some economies. There there's some logistic things that you need to work through in terms of, you know, if you don't have a full breadth of SKUs present at each location, how do you handle that and 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 not run into higher shipping costs? But it, it, it's interesting. I, I like the concept of having more drop-off points, more ease of use. Now, I know you guys have, from your side, you have a delicate balance because if I'm ordering a fashion product, I don't want you using a return bar that's a retail store necessarily, right? That's that's selling fashion. So is that something that you guys have to grapple with depending on the verticals you're dealing with? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and I get it, right? Um, you know, if I, if I sell shoes online, I don't want to drive my customer into a shoe store to, to drop the return off. Um, you know, so, so today we've got 2,600 of these locations. They're all, they're all in non-competitive to the core categories, right? So for example, we have a partnership with FedEx. Uh, so we're in you know, 2000 FedEx office locations, or we've got a partnership with uh, paper source, which sells cards and paper items, you know, cost plus world market, which is more sort of furniture or grocery ish. Right. Um, I think we can build a huge network, you know, kind of 10 X where we are today and still have it be non-competitive. Right. And if you think about sort of like pharmacy, grocery, office supplies, cosmetics, right. And you, you just sort of think about, you know, like for 10,000 CVS locations, right. Right. Or, you know, think about all the grocery stores that are out there. Um, you know, or, or, or office supplies, right? There's you know, 1,100 staples locations, right? Um, you know, that those, I, I think we can build a large non-competitive drop-off network that creates what shoppers want, which is convenience. Yep. Candidly, what shoppers also want is choice, right? You know, it's like, and for five and a half years at Happier Turns, it's been, we're making the case of drop it off in person versus the mail. I think in the future, you know, Nobody wants to deal with the hassle and weight of the mail. So I think it's it's going to be in person. And what choices do I have, right? Because it might be that I have another errand. And if I can drop it off at, at say, the grocery store, um, that's great because I already have a trip that I need to do there or the pharmacy because I have a prescription I need to pick up. Or, or you know, it's great that you have this at paper source because I have that birthday party this weekend and I can drop off my return and pick up a card. So I think this, this idea of like the utility of the drop-off network becomes really, really important. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're, you're, you know, the, the point you raised is totally valid. I think there is that still that competitive dynamic, but, but I think there's enough physical retail that wants foot traffic that, you know, wants the foot traffic that these returns represent that is still non-competitive for us to build a, a very big, you know, a, a large network, that's diverse enough with regard to the types of places that accept returns um, that it can be really compelling for shoppers. Yep. And and do you see a point, and maybe, maybe this is something that's already happening, so um, just so you can let me know, but do you see a point where I don't even, as the shopper, um, I don't even have to log in my return in advance to get my Q code, that the Q codes just come? And so this way, if I'm out and saying, you know what, 
geez, I'm gonna I'm gonna run out, and I do have to stop by Harmon, right? Uh, and I'm I, I'm gonna be there. Let me just drop this off, and I didn't have a chance to to go on to the website. And do you, do you see that getting to a point where we don't even need to do that anymore? Good question. Right. I think there's always gonna be this action uh, around because because if you think about you know this item eventually is gonna make its way back to a three PL, right? Right, and eventually that. 3PL is going to have to recognize what it is that's coming back and what mm-hmm. order it's associated with. And, you know, and, and and even if you have a third party like Happy Returns, it's kind of triggering the refund ahead of time. There's still this need to, to, to um, you know, be able to account to account for it. Right. So I think there's always going to be this action that you need to take with regard to um, starting the return. Okay. But what's interesting is that, you know, in our model today, we, we we do this by creating a return portal on the merchant's website. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a number of other kind of third-party shopping apps that are emerging to track orders uh, in one place mm-hmm. uh, that would be a natural place for you to start the return, right? And it right. could be your tender method. It could be you know uh, an app that's specifically meant to track uh, your orders. Um, but but this sort of like shopping companion app that mm-hmm. attempts to keep help you keep track of all of your shopping across the internet is a natural place for a you know a return to be initiated, mm-hmm. um, and, and and that might be outside of the merchant's you know website. Right. So I, I think there's um I think there's even a new kind of layer emerging of um you know kind of a and shopping companion is the best way I, I sort of think about it of like all those things that I want from all merchants. I just don't want to have to keep track of them in my inbox anymore, right? I'd like them all to be in one place um, because the reality is I'm, I'm going to shop from lots of different retailers because it's easy to do that. It's like one click away, right. um, but don't make me, don't make me track it in multiple places. Don't make me return it in multiple places. Like I, I see that coming very soon. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's very interesting too, because, you know, even, even going in and just trying to find receipts and links and things on my, in my inbox, which is now getting cluttered and cluttered with more, uh, marketing and advertisements and updates on sales and things like that uh, gets very cluttered. So having that would certainly help a lot. Agreed. All right. So, so David, just as we, as we head out here, you, you know, is there, is there anything for, for uh, a brand that's considering return options, things like that? Is there, is there any really one pivotal point that you tell them to consider as they're as they're going down that road of, uh, of of looking at how to handle returns, well, I think there's there's a couple vectors as we're selling, right? But they ended end up sort of tending to to fall into a, you know three big categories. There's sort of the customer experience, there's the cost side, and and then there's sort of the environmental impact, the sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, I always tell folks to focus on the customer experience and to sort of think about returns as part of the whole journey. Um, because, you know, kind of back to where our conversation started, like a lot of e-commerce purchases have returns kind of built into them, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of research on, on this idea of, you know, shoppers will review the return policy before they check out. And so when you kind of think about the whole journey, you start to think about, you know, I, th- I think we, we tend to, or I should say a lot of merchants tend to think about, well, my return rate is making this up, you know, 20%. So it's only 20% of my customers that are impacted by this. Not true, actually. It's like 100% of the people because they all looked at the policy before they checked out. Right. And some of them maybe decided not to check out because of what they read, right? And, and so for those that, you know, that, that did check out and they're now experiencing this, 
this has a big impact on, you know, as we, as we talked about, whether they come back and shop from you again. And, and especially in a world where you're paying to acquire customers, like you can't afford to lose them there. Right. And so if you start, you know, I always kind of come back to this, like think about returns as a part of the journey that impacts, you know, who shops your site, impacts whether they check out and has huge impact on retention and lifetime value. Um, get it right and invest in getting it right. And, you know, and getting it right is, you know, as I said, I just don't think the modern shopper has any tolerance for printing labels, right? You know, has any tolerance for finding a box, you know, wrestling with packing tape, and and most importantly, waiting. You know, because yep. we've all had that experience. Like, I dropped it off. Okay, now I need to make a note to check my credit card statement, and and then a couple of weeks have gone by, and you're like, but I didn't see the refund. When did I send it back? Right. And am I going to take a half hour of my day and dig out the order number and call customer service and track it down, or am I just going to be mad? Right. right. Am I just going to be like, never again? You yeah. know? Um, and, and, and so I, I think that, that, you know, the same way we don't have a ton of tolerance for slow shipping or, or, or paying for shipping. Mm-hmm. I think the idea of like friction-free returns is just becoming table stakes. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. It's a great, it's a great point. I mean, that, that cost of customer acquisition is just so high. Um, when you finally do land a customer, you've got to do everything you can to hold on. Awesome. Yeah. Well, listen, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's, it's been great. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of value that's coming out and it's going to make people think and ask more questions. So we would like to reserve the right to have you back one of these weeks and maybe for a cocktail episode. Awesome. <laughs> thank you, Brian. Thank you, Caitlin. This is fun. Thank you so much. Caitlin, you want to take us out? Sure. Thank you, David. And thank you, everyone, for listening. You can subscribe at sippinandshipping.com or check us out on your favorite podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever works. Give us a thumbs up, subscribe. Love to have you guys here and we'll see you guys soon. Thanks, everybody.